Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast, encouragement and hope in a despairing world. Our sermon text this evening is from Micah chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jeez, I love that song. I love it so much. Uh, I'm so excited to be preaching. I haven't preached in a few weeks, so uh, it'll be like an hour long. Sorry. We're continuing a series uh, on the topic of becoming reconcilers. And uh, the specific topic tonight is about retooling. And we're going to talk about that amazing passage that Peyton read out of Micah. It's one of my favorite Old Testament passages. And the prophets of the Old Testament are a very mysterious group of people. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann has a wonderful book called The Prophetic Imagination. And in it, he describes the task of prophets. He says the prophet's ministry task is to hold together the criticizing of culture and the energizing of culture. You can't have one without the other. It's the dialectic of criticizing and energizing that can call followers to be seriously faithful to God. In the early 1940s, England was once again going to war with Germany, and the Second World War was underway. And the British Broadcasting Company, the BBC, knew that people would need a moral underpinning, underpinning and regular encouragement so that they could make it through yet another war. And at the same time, a famous Oxford professor, who most of you have heard of, C.S. Lewis, had just published a work called The Problem of Pain, where he explored how suffering and a good God can simultaneously exist. So the BBC knew that they needed someone who could both speak into the fear and the pain and the reality that they were living, but also somehow managed to stir up hope. And this is exactly what Lewis did. He did a series of 25 broadcasts over the next few years that averaged a listening audience of one and a half million people for each broadcast. Families would gather all over England to hear Lewis lean into the pain and criticize that, but also energize culture and give them some hope. And it was the thing to do to gather around your radio and listen to C.S. Lewis to help you make it through the next week. England needed a voice of a prophet, a voice that would be both critical and energizing, that would acknowledge doom, but also bring hope. The people of Israel in Micah's passage that we read will explore and will explore today. 
They needed the same, a critical but energizing voice. The church in America now needs the voice of prophets, people who aren't afraid to acknowledge the current reality, but also live and speak in a compelling way that can re-energize believers and bring hope to our soul. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We're going to look at this absolutely beautiful passage. It's inspiring in many ways to me. Uh, And as I said, it's among one of my favorites in the Old Testament. Micah, the prophet, was filled with zeal for the oppressed. That was his sign of being filled with the Spirit. He's often been called, if you read commentators, the, the prophet of the poor. He was particularly concerned over the rich individuals and the rich nations that were running roughshod over those who had less. There were wars and envy and bloodshed everywhere at his time. If one person or tribe or group of people cultivated successful crops, then the more powerful tribes and people would come and force them to leave their property and take their crops and their yield. So people were being forced into poverty and starvation because they were fearful of growing successful crops and cultivating their own fields. So Micah spends the first part of his book on the doom of their current reality and calling culture out and holding them accountable to the evil that existed. But he moves in chapter four to a breathtaking shift from dismantling the old Jerusalem to the rebuilding of the new. And that's where we pick up the reading in Micah 4. And I'm going to read it again because I love it so much. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come in and say, oh, that's clutch, Trey. Thanks, man. Yeah. to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Micah casts this amazing vision of what could be. So they are primarily warring over food, farm, and field. And Micah dreams of a day when the swords will be turned into tools for cultivating the land and spears turned into pruning hooks to prune the vine trees, when tribes would realize that they can all flourish together. In that day, every person can sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. What a vision. What a vision. And I felt compelled to stop there every time I read this passage as I was preparing That sentence, no one will make them afraid. Stop me in my tracks. The gospel according to St. Luke. And since we're talking about prophets, I figure I may try to speak prophetically. But if you're in here tonight and you've been stopped by fear, 
I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or situations in your life, but you've been struggling with fear. I'm praying for you specifically tonight that no one will make you afraid. If the nations could trust each other not to exploit one another, they could then dismantle their military machines. The ideal of not coveting is fulfilled only in the kingdom of God. It's the combination of doom and hope, criticizing and energizing, grief and faith. That's the powerful way the church is uniquely gifted to help navigate difficult circumstances. We got the cross that shows us grief, and we have the resurrection that shows us hope. Brueggemann says, real criticism begins in the capacity to grieve because that is the most visceral announcement that things are not right. I love that notion. We have to have the capacity to grieve and lament because that's our announcement to the world that things are not right. They're not meant to be right. They're not promised to be right. And as we lament and as we grieve, it's our reaction. It's us entering into reality that things are not right in this world. At the same time, it's the vocation of the church to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on proposing future alternatives to the doom and gloom that we see around us. The prophets didn't ask if it was realistic. The prophets didn't worry if it was practical or viable, but they wanted it to be imaginable. Micah knew if he could just get his people to imagine a day when those swords and those spears were retooled into something useful, then he could get his people to have hope and to lean into that vision and to collectively imagine that together. And in that imagining process, it would produce results. So I want us, church, to not say, Jake, that's not realistic that we won't have war. It's not realistic that we won't be able to do, bring peace in our city. But I want us to imagine that together. And in imagining that collectively, we can chip away at the problems, the doom and the gloom in the world. So tonight, let me try to act as if I'm a prophet for our church. The reality is, is that things are not right in our world. On a global level, the number of countries in conflict is increasing at an alarming rate. The pandemic has significantly increased the chasm between the rich and the poor all over the world. People are suffering. In America, we've grown so obsessed with our nationalistic ideology that the American church has lost its way. We're obsessed with guns and violence. We're so polarized that things of minor importance have risen to the level of a non-negotiable. Our racist hearts are continually being exposed daily. We are more known for what we're against than what we're for, and many people are losing faith because the church is acting so childishly. Many people are indicating that they won't return to church or maybe even to Christ post-pandemic. We have strayed so far from a Christ who walked humbly, loved the sinner, and died in an effort to expose hatred and violence. Church, I grieve with you over this. I enter into your grief. We acknowledge it. It's not hopeful. It's rough out there right now. 
And the prophet would call these things into account and criticize them. However, I can envision a day when this current reality pressures the church to become more true and more authentic in America than it has been in a long time. I imagine a day when those of us who choose to hold on to faith become so transformed by the loving kindness of the Holy Spirit. I believe that as the voice of true followers of God get pushed to the margins, we'll find our true home there, on the fringe, among the outcast, the reject, rejected, and the hurting. As we become less obsessed with church as a place of entertainment and production, we'll seek a truer expression of Christ. We'll rediscover a Christ who is alive and active and purifying our hearts. Brueggemann said the only, the, that only where there's doxology or worship can there be justice, for such songs transfigure fear into energy. And I pray that this is what happens at the Mission Cleveland each week. I know it does for me. I believe so deeply in what we're doing here at this church and in this city at this moment in time. I believe that our liturgy, the arc of our service, the energizing memory of our faith tradition is something that can keep us tethered together and with Christ. I don't know about you, but I need to confess my sins every week and every day. I don't know about you, but I need the Lord's table every single time we gather. I don't know about you, but I need to understand the Lord's prayer often in my life. I need these energizing memories, this rootedness, this, this history that keeps me grounded and every week redirects me, rehabits me, remembers, like not only at the table, but we remember, we re-come together every week. And I believe one of the most prophetic things that we do as a church is to remind you every single week how deeply loved by Jesus you are. Because if you're like me, that's not the feeling that I get when I leave the doors. And every week, it's a prophetic act to pronounce over you the grace and the love of Christ. So may we, Mission Cleveland, be a prophetic voice in our city. May we figure out how, in our context, we can encourage people to turn their swords into plows and their spears into pruning hooks. The very tools we use for destruction now can be turned into things that cultivate and grow others. May we sit with this this week. Let's both grieve and hope. Let's criticize, but let's energize. And ultimately, may we never lose hope. May we learn the art of retooling the tools that we use to tear down and destroy can be absolutely transformed into cultivating tools, building up and nourishing one another. Maybe, may we be weekly, daily, retooled for his kingdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week.